welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I am Reagan Kelly, and this week I am joined by all of my awesome co-hosts, plus a guest. Nate Heininger. Laura Nash. Shane Kelly. And we are joined once again by, I would say frequent guests, but this show's been running so long, I don't know if five <laughs> times quite counts, but... Uh, but multiple repeat guests and friend of the show, Gary Butterfield. Thank you so much for joining us, Gary. Hi. Am I am I alone in the five timers club? I, I was technically a five time guest. Oh, but you graduated. Be on it. I graduated. This I is how think... we just we bring in. We need more get or more yeah. co-hosts. And <laughs> once so you much. reach once five, once you five, you're in. Gary's like, oh God, please no! I do so many podcasts. <laughs> so the the. Uh... Well, I suppose I've got a little bit of time at like 2 a.m. on Sunday, so I guess mm-hmm. I can add another one to the list. I just That's when we record. No, no thank God. The, um, yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Always yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. It's always fun having you, and specifically, I was excited to have you on for this episode because we've had you on for a Zelda game before. This week, we're covering Cadence of Hyrule, or excuse me, I want to get the full title right. It's uh, Cadence of Hyrule, <laughs> Crypt of the Necrodancer featuring the Legend of Zelda. Did I get that right? <laughs> Sadly, I, I think yes. I, I think that is actually the title they went with. <laughs> Which is stunning. It's real weird. That had to be a branding agreement. Like, both sides couldn't agree, and they're like, fuck it, put it all in there. You, you think, went, but then they put Crypt of the Necrodancer featuring the Legend of Zelda? Like, that's, I mean, we'll get into this, but like, that's what blows my mind from a branding perspective, is like, Zelda gets second ring, second string on this. Yeah. There are more names in this title than there are genres in this game. Yeah. <laughs> Technically true. So if you're new to the show, uh, this is a, the, the short game is a podcast where we talk about short video games. Our definition for that is very loose, but generally under 10 hours is our cap. And way back at the beginning of the show, all the way back at episode, I think it was 21. Uh, yes, that's correct. Way back at episode 21, we talked about uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer, which at that time was still in early access. And uh, that was the maybe the first time we did our sort of stretch or exception to our short game rule, which is that it has to be 10 hours, or if it's a roguelike, we count it, because the runs are <laughs> relatively short. And so we played that way back in the day. And then we also have had Gary on several times, and the uh, next to last time he came on the show was to talk about The Legend of Zelda, A Link Between Worlds. Uh, mm-hmm. And so when this game came out, I was excited to cover it and excited also to have Gary on to talk about it because we've talked about Zelda with Gary before. So thank you so much again for coming on the show, Gary. Yeah, I love uh, taking the games that I play for fun and turning them into content. Yes. It's the <laughs> podcaster's <laughs> secret. Yeah. The uh, Content that you, you can't monetize for your Patreon. <laughs> Sorry, no, no but it, it's still on. just uh, as long as it, it, every word I ever say is recorded, as long as that happens and I can die happy. Exactly. Uh, Got to make sure it's preserved for future generations. Yeah. That's what legacy is. It's, it is exactly. This is unlikely to have kids. I'll have this instead. So that's a lot of pressure on the short game. But I just want to, you know, let you know up front that this is what I'm doing instead of having kids. Is this podcast? Well, me too. Before we dig too far into this episode, I do have a quick announcement, some sort of, I guess, admin for the show, and I want to try and keep this brief. We'll talk a little more about it 
towards the end of the show if you have questions. But I wanted to announce to any listeners that maybe maybe won't make it to the very end of this episode, we'll see how long it goes, that The Short Game is starting a Patreon. So it's Yay! up right now at uh, patreon.com slash the short game. We included the the. Uh, so, and of course you can go to the website and uh, find a link to it from there. Um, I'll have some information uh, at the end of the show and on the Patreon page about why we've chosen now of all times to start a Patreon. Here we are five years into the show and we're starting to do this thing. Um, we have modest expectations for this Patreon, but it would make a big difference to us if you would join us at that page and support us. And the main thing that I wanted to let folks know right off the bat here is that if you uh, do support us on Patreon, uh, the number one, uh, I guess, reward is a very, yes, the reward is an extremely <laughs> A uh, weird term for this, but the number one perk is that uh, we would be inviting you to join our Discord, which is where we do all of the planning for the show and discuss short games. You know, this is a short of, sort of a, a book club style podcast, and a lot of that book club type discussion and planning happens in our Discord, and we want to open that up to you. So if you are interested in continuing the conversation of the podcast, please join us on our Discord at our Patreon, patreon.com slash the short game. And uh, anyone at even a dollar a month makes a huge difference to us and the show, and we'll be happy to chit chat with you on Discord uh, and all of the other things that we have planned for the Patreon that are not quite finalized yet. So it's brand new. I wanted to let everybody know. And thank you for bearing with us. And uh, I guess, thank you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know how to do these things yet. <laughs> it's good. Well, no, I'd like to say we should be honest with our listeners. Uh, five years ago, we started this show with a very large investment from an anonymous venture capitalist. And that <laughs> money is starting to run out. Yeah, five years, you go through a billion dollars very fast. Yeah, my lavish lifestyle has really started to catch up with me and what? the rest of the short game cast. Was the investor Martin Short, and that's yes. why he uh, why you call the podcast that, and why he stopped acting? Yes, yes. that is all correct. Yes. Anonymous. Uh, I'm gonna post <laughs> that on Reddit because uh, our game detectives vindicated <laughs> the. <laughs> we figured it out, boys. Oh my god! I I'm like it would be awful, but also my absolute dream to be like outed for something completely spurious by like detectives on Reddit. That would be. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I'm going to accuse you of something next week. Be careful what you wish for. Oh, thank you so much, Laura. You, you can't know how much this means to me. So uh. many throwaway accounts just for this. So, so we are talking this week about cadence of Hyrule. Uh, oh God, what's the goddamn title again? <laughs> cadence of Hy Hyrule, a uh, necro dancer featuring Zelda, etc. And where did this come? Well, maybe we should start by talking a little bit about like what what the Crypt of the Necrodancer is for folks who maybe are, aren't familiar with that series or didn't listen to episode 21 back in 2014. Which was re-released last week. So it's oh, not yes. unknown that they would have mm -hmm. listened to it. Thank you. Um, yeah. So that, so if people don't know, uh, that's, that is a rhythm-based roguelike where everything moves on the beat. Uh, roguelike in that... Um, you know, enemies move on the beat. They are restrained the same way you are. It moves in a grid. Uh, you attack things by walking into it. Uh, it is, you start your run over every single time there is permadeath. Um, but you have this kind of consistent increasing loop of unlocks as you uh, unlock kind of in like a deck building fashion almost. A way to get new items uh, and have them appear, have a chance to appear on future runs. 
Um, did you guys like Necrodancer? I haven't listened to that episode. Yeah, you yeah. You guys um, pro Necrodancer? We were all pretty pro on it at the time. When we played it, it was still in early access. And um, it improved a lot after that. I went back and listened mm. to Guy because I had to kind of re-release our episode on it. Um, but at the time, um, it, it still had some rough edges, which have mostly been worked out. And the biggest ones, I think, are that um, as it made its way to a zillion other platforms, they kind of refined the controls a little bit. I think they were mm. very tied at the time when we played that game to their sort of idea of like, this can be played on a dance pad. And so literally the entire thing could be played with up, down, left, and right, including activating items. Um, so you do items items by doing like a diagonal, um, which was garbage. And, uh, well, maybe not. I mean, I'm, there's some people probably like it, but I, I, as it moved to other platforms, I've now played this on uh, its original PC release and also on PS4 and also on iOS. And they've changed the control scheme a little bit and refined it each time. And also just touched the game up in various ways. I think it's now an extremely polished and fun experience. And also looking back on it, it's much more of a traditional roguelike than I think it seemed at the time. Um, you know, it, it, there's five years of games that have been calling themselves roguelikes that are like so much less a traditional roguelike than, than Crypt of the Necrodancer that like, you know, once you get past the, the moving on the beat, it's like, wow, this is really traditional. Yeah, yeah. Down to like to the scrolls, mm-hmm. you know, that you, that you have, um, things like that. And the uh, and just being locked to a grid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very, very roguelike. I haven't actually revisited it. Um, my big thing with it, I don't know if this is a shared experience at all. Uh, and I know that this makes me sound like a huge baby, but I thought it, like the difficulty ramp up was really too harsh on it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's because there are four worlds in that four biomes. It's one of the biggest things I think they improved with this game that we're going to talk about today. Um, but there are four biomes and the jump between biome two and three was oh yeah just Absurd. tremendously difficult. And I was just, well, okay. You know, yeah, you, you and I nice stop playing. Like, it's you know. definitely a challenging game, and uh, you already said it. But this game gives you other things to do if something is too particularly challenging in that moment. Whereas with Crypt, it's like, well, you probably just die, so you're gonna have yeah. to start entirely over. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and, and honestly, like I have been playing Crypt of the Necrodancer in fits and spurts for literally five years, and I've never beaten it. And I mean, that's like that sucks a bit. I absolutely agree that the original Crypt of the Necrodancer is uh, uh, ridiculously hard, uh, but it does one thing that allows you to kind of mitigate that difficulty that I think is kind of rare. At least I don't see it in other uh, roguelikes. Uh, and that is it gives you, between runs, the ability to give a lot of control over what items you will actually see in chests. Uh, and there are some items that are better than others, and you can pay to basically remove items hmm from uh, the loot pool. Uh, so, so as you as you grind the game, uh, which, you know, if, if that's something you want to do, uh, you grind for uh, diamonds, and then you'll use those to add items and remove items from the loot pool uh, to kind of streamline and customize the game. And that's actually something I really liked about it. Now, I actually prefer the item system and the inventory in this game uh, a great deal to that, but... Uh, uh, it I definitely was something unique, and when I went back to the game, I, I was kind of refreshed about how, how much I liked that. almost has like a collectible card game element to it, which scratches my particular itches. Huh. You know, I honestly don't remember engaging with that part of its systems, and that's probably just because the last time I played this was the... played it was... I mean, I've touched it a little bit just in sort of refreshing my memory to talk about this game, 
but the last time I really played it was the iOS release, which I think was years ago. So I wonder if that sort of deck building-esque mechanic to the loot system is a more recent addition. I'm almost positive it wasn't in the early access version that I played all those mm-hmm. you know years ago because I, I I don't think we mentioned it in our episode, which I just went back through. So yeah, that's actually that's pretty cool, Shane. Thanks for drawing my attention to that. The other big thing it adds is the ability to turn off have being constrained to the beat and actually play it exactly like a game of Rogue. Uh, mm-hmm. pretty much like an action version of Rogue where enemies only move when you move um, by yeah. opening up that character select. And this game does that as well, uh, which is cool. And it offers it to you if you uh, miss the beat too many times in a non-condescending fashion. You know, non, uh, non-condescending non difficulty mitigation, mitigation things are my thing right now. So That's just say, really hey, do you want to try this? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yes or no. You know, don't uh, don't make me wear like the humiliation hat. I don't have to go sit in the shame diaper uh, because <laughs> you know, I'm having a hard time with your game. Like, um, yeah. yeah. And does it do any sort of like arbitrary flag when you turn on that feature? Where it's like, okay, you beat it, but now you're you know you yeah, got the red you, the red stamp of <laughs> yeah. Like, you got the, the uh, you have to wear the bad hat. I don't yeah. I don't know. I didn't beat it like that. I was able to beat it uh, normally. But the first time I played it, it took me a minute to like get used to it. And it's like, do you mm-hmm. want to do you want to turn this off? I was like, nah, I'll keep trying. But thank you, legitimately, yeah. thank you. Yeah, that is a really good point. And I mean, it it is a little bit more of like a here's your dunce hat in the original game because it it, it does that by offering you a different character in Crypto the Necrodancer, which I think is the bard. I maybe yeah the bard. There? Yeah, okay. So like playing playing the game as the bard, it's not exactly like I mean, it's not like do you want to play as as Cadence or like this cool ninja or do you want to play as the diaper baby? Um, yeah, <laughs> but it's it's still like its own separate thing where like you know yeah. you're playing as playing as this bard guy like baby bard. Um, but here it is like you get to play as all of your you know you get to play as all your favorite characters from the Legend of Zelda and you play it how you want, which I appreciate yeah. too. Um, the uh, so I definitely have gone back to Crypt of the Necrodancer a few times over the years, but definitely the thing that has stuck with me more, or at least has been like more a part of my life since that game's launch, is the soundtrack. Um, that has made mm-hmm. its way into oh. virtually every one of my, like, I need to be, I want to listen to something fun and good and, like, engaging right now. It's probably going to be, like, half of the Crypt of the Necrod Answer soundtrack. Mm, totally. Yeah, Danny Barodowski. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I, I really loved, I mean, we, uh, I really love the way that this game blended some like music motifs from the Crypt of the Necrodancer mm-hmm. into really familiar Legend of Zelda tracks. The first time I heard that this was being announced, I was overjoyed at the soundtrack potential. Like oh, yeah, that sure. was what I was the most excited about Same. was hearing you know, Hyrule thought. jams in the cadence style, and that's all I wanted was party music. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I don't think it disappointed. I don't yeah. think it disappointed at all. Yeah, it's it's a super good soundtrack, and I really loved uh, listening to it. I'm, I'm looking for. There's no, as far as I know, official release of the soundtrack, and um, I'm not sure that's a thing that Nintendo does anymore. Like, I'm sure there's like license issues. Like, I'm sure that uh, like Danny Baranowski can't just like put this out on his SoundCloud because it's. Zelda music. He didn't write the music. Yeah, yeah. He arranged it. Exactly. Like, so I'm not really sure what the what the situation is for an official release, but I'm sure there's going to be ways to listen to the soundtrack, and it does rule.
circle back to the licensing issues, we asked early on how the hell this got made. So I actually looked up the answer, but I'd like to know if you guys have guesses on I mean, how this happened. I, okay, yes. so obviously um, Zelda, or excuse me, Zelda, I was about to call it, so Nintendo, not Zelda, the company Zelda. Um, the person Zelda, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nintendo has been a little bit freer of late with licensing out their stuff. So I can think of a few examples. The one that struck me as weird, I think like there's the the like Mario versus Rabbids Kingdom battle or whatever it was called, the that thing um, where mm -hmm. Mario has a gun. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. Uh, there's the the thing where they've got um, Star Fox sort of guest starring in that Starlink thing. Um, there's like a toys to life piece of junk that I never really looked at. Um, things like, um, you know, the legend of Zelda has appeared in the, like the Hyrule Warriors, uh, kind of spinoff, which is a like non Nintendo developed spinoff from the legend of Zelda with Linkle. Um, so I don't know. It seems like Nintendo has started taking a little bit of a different approach to, uh, allowing their, you know, headline IP to be used in Nintendo exclusive, but non Nintendo developed uh, works. Um, mm -hmm. But as far as I know, this is the very first time they've done that with an indie developer. I mean, the, the first Necrodancer game, uh, at least at the beginning, was developed by like one guy. So yeah. like, I, I would love to have been a fly on the wall of like whatever meeting got this going. Like, I don't know, did, did something, you know, did, did like, Onuma like play Crypto the Necrodancer and like really like it or something. Well, so so you know how every once in a while you read those like Reddit posts or like you just like go Twitter or whatever where it's like, oh my cousin invited the queen to their wedding and they actually showed up or like <laughs> I you know invited Taylor Will Swift played my bar mitzvah. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Eighty like, percent of them are Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah, right. I invited Will Smith to my bar mitzvah. And Will Murray up. came. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I think that's what happened. I think the Crypto the Necrodancer people are like, what if we pitch Zelda but Crypto the Necrodancer? And Nintendo was like, yes. And then all of a sudden, here we are, and it's done. I think... <laughs> It's the only thing that makes sense to me. I like your story, but add about seven steps that involve lawyers. And there, I think <laughs> we're at it. Um, Laura, you said you'd done some research on this, and I actually tried to look into this and couldn't find anything that was very specific. What did you find about that? So uh, the Brace Yourself Games team were thinking about doing a new Switch game because they want to do something next. And they thought it'd be really cool to start off uh, by having some Zelda characters be in Necrodancer as DLC or just as an extra treat to promote their next Switch game. So they went to Nintendo and Nintendo was like, oh, we like your game a lot. Why don't you do a game? Um, apparently, so I'm actually not that wrong. Yeah, That's the Japan team close. saw the con like they said the Japan team quote saw content and saw titles that they want to work with, and the interest then turns into a two way street. So apparently, the the Brace Yourself Games team were like, hey, what if we just like put a sprite of Zelda in our game? And Nintendo was like, actually, why don't you make us a game? Apparently, it just kept growing, way past hmm. DLC, um, and into a full game because they. They really wanted to do something tiny with Nintendo, started the partnership, and the team, I guess, looked into the game and was like, oh no, this is rad. Please make a Zelda game. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I think it, I mean, it, it definitely is 
emblematic of what Nintendo has been moving towards with Switch and everything anyway. It's like a, a full embrace of indie games, right? Like mm-hmm. everyone now is trying to d- develop indie games for the Switch and Nintendo is definitely on board for that. So it does make sense for now Nintendo to actually be, you know, licensing and making their own indie games to be a part of the thing that they're clearly trying to embrace and to expand on their platform. Uh, They're being very careful in interviews uh, not to call themselves a Zelda indie game. I find this really delightful. The phrase they're using is, it is one of the first developers to use Zelda content. They're so carefully not saying that they've made a Zelda game themselves. Uh, But still, I mean, there's 23 people from what I could count on the website, and that is insane that they made the game. So regardless of what they call it, it's still kind of awesome that this... It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah, It is. Yeah, Yeah. that's got to be the fewest amount of people involved in a Zelda game, right? I don't know. If you go back to those very early Nintendo games, sounds like they were really shoestring at the very start. Yeah, that's a good point. Miyamoto and his three friends or something. Um, So, yeah, one of the most interesting things about this game is how did it get made but it's also really interesting in and of itself like the the structure and and what it draws from the different series that it's kind of a mix-up of um so like obviously this game gets a lot of its uh combat from the crypt of the necro dancer series but a lot of its sort of vibe appearance and all of that from especially uh link to the past but like yeah all of the zelda series Let's talk a little bit about like how this game actually plays minute to minute or beat to beat, so to speak. Like there, there's kind of like a, a, a grand thesis of this that I have thinking about this game. Like after I beat it, is that like while I think that this game is not great or perfect or anything, I think it's kind of firmly in the good category. Uh, category. I think that this blending fixes my biggest problems with Crypt of the Necromancer and a lot of Zelda games, which is real weird. Like in Crypt of the Necrodancer. Um, the kind of uh, lack of persistence, I think, leads to that difficulty, right? Like, mm-hmm. part of the reason why that has to be so punishing is because they want you to do it over and over again. And it's ultimately very short. This kind of having a traditional, um, like a short Zelda game quest structure means they don't have to be as persistently punishing uh, with the game. Um, and one of the things that some Zelda games, not all Zelda games, like I love uh, Link Between Worlds, I love Link to the Past as well, but some Zelda games do is they're, I think they're kind of bland in the moment to moment. Um, you know, there's not, uh, like I, I will get a little frustrated with the uh, with Zelda puzzles, um, you know, like light all the torches in this room and that's a puzzle. Like there's a lot of tasks in a mm-hmm. Zelda game. And in Cadence of Hyrule, you are consistently engaged. Like I don't actually think the puzzles are very good, but by adding that beat and making the combat um, something that is very tactical and very uh, intentional. They keep you engaged in a way that a lot of Zelda games don't for me. You know, or do not feel quite like deep enough, I guess, if that makes sense. I 100% agree about the sort of engagement. Like the um, the thing that I sometimes have a trouble with with some Zelda games. Oh, re- sorry to, to cut you off. The biggest thing is it shuts up. Oh. Which Zelda games don't do anymore. Um, now they're all, I mean, like Twilight Princess is the big offender for that and Skyward Sword, but like modern Zelda games constantly shoving lore down your face. Um, this game is very sparse with its words, and I think that's great. Not to mention literally telling you to stop playing and go for a walk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it knows, hey, just play this in small doses and we're going to engage you and be fun and action the whole time. You're not going to have to sit here and listen to people's backstories. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. 
The Please continue. Sorry. I no, 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 no problem. The, the action of the game is is so engaging. Like the um, some Zelda games, the the combat really does sort of feel like okay. I just want to like square up with the enemy so my sword is pointed in the right direction and hit it and then back off and do that repeatedly until it dies. And that can be really fun if they design around it well, but it's not always. Particularly not if, you know, sometimes the boss encounters are particularly good, but the, like, minute-to-minute, like, fighting against guards or whatever is, is not particularly good, or sometimes it's the reverse. But, yeah, you do sort of have those times where it's, like, not quite what you'd want. Um, where this is, like, this is, like, a like 100% of the time, fighting, fighting even, like, the most basic, like, I guess they're Bokoblins, um, mm -hmm. which, by the way, are the, like, a reskin of my 100% favorite uh, sprite in all of video games. You can't, you can't see, but I'm holding this up because I have this, I have a Necrodancer pin that I have usually keep on one of my jackets and happens to be sitting here on my, on my, uh, my desk. And it's of the sprite of the dancing skeleton from Crypt of the Necrodancer, which maybe is the best sprite of all time, the jazz hand skeleton. And they've reskinned that as, oops, they've reskinned that as the Bokoblins in this. And I was glad to see them returned and all, but also a little bit sad that my, my friends, the skeletons were not in this. Um, anyway, the, the sort of dance you do with the enemies while you're trying to fight them, you know, like those guys, for example, you have to sort of learn this little dance of like attack back off, back off, attack, back off, back off. And doing that, particularly with a crowd of enemies, can feel like this totally little improvisational dance move that you have to pull off. And that's great. That's something that Zelda certainly doesn't have. And it, it felt um, really like, I mean, it, it was great in Crypt of the Necrodancer, but in some ways it's even better here because it is a little easier and it's a little bit lower a little stakes too. Yeah. To me, the heart of a Zelda game is its puzzles, and I've never been that into combat. I mean, other than Breath of the Wild, where combat is almost like an inventory management problem because of durability, a lot of the things I think about in Zelda are the, you know, you shoot this eye with an arrow, you need to light the fire, all those little things you need to do for, you know, Zelda logic in a dungeon. And this replaces it with combat puzzling, which is how does this enemy move? How do I need to combat it? It's all the things in Crypt of the Necrodancer that I eventually learned was the way to beat the game, or I never beat it, but to get to the next level. Here, it's much more of the puzzle is the enemy mm -hmm. and combat mm -hmm. is the point. And if you're not having fun dancing your way through the first couple screens, that's the game. Laura, I totally agree. Although I would say to folks, if you have trouble in the first few screens, it might you get just more be, hearts later. It yeah. takes it takes some time to wrap your brain around moving on the beat. Um, even as somebody who played Necro Dancer, it took me easily like well past the tutorial level to sort of like get it in my hands again, if that makes sense. Like it mm. took a while to get over that initial hump. I also think this game has the uh, standard sort of Zelda curve where the beginning of the game is very challenging. And then by like the middle part of the game, uh, at least in my, my personal experience, I at that point had so many hearts that it was like it became very forgiving. And yeah. I like I died more in the first hour than I think I did like the entire rest of the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I was also thinking, too, uh, one of the things that was very satisfying about this game uh, is sort of like the release feeling of completing uh, killing all of the guys in a in a grid. So not only is the 
uh, like the the combat on a grid, everywhere you move is on a grid, but the the map is on a grid. So standard sort of screen, you hit the edge of a screen and it shifts over and you're on a new uh, screen, right? And so anytime you're in combat, if it's getting too rough, you can always just run to the edge and leave. So you might be entering like a new combat zone, but at least you're safe from the things that were chasing you right there. Or if you manage to kill everything on the screen, the music, the beat breaks and you can now move freely, which was also a great feeling because I love moving on the beat and I love that combat style, but it was also nice to just like stop and run around sometimes trying to do any kind of puzzle or move like blocks around to get to a treasure chest while any enemy was there is a nightmare. Um, And that's one of the ways this game I think is a little bit inelegant in how it joins those things. Like ideally you would clear all the enemies from the screen and then concentrate on the puzzles. But let's say, you know, your little mini map says there's a treasure chest here. You didn't get, you maybe didn't have the item. You just want to pop in and grab that chest Mm -hmm. trying to move the blocks around on the beat, like doesn't work. So having that relief and that freedom um, is really nice. And it makes me think of another really kind of genius thing this game does with that music is how the, uh, it adds more instruments and texture um, to the music the longer your combo string is. Mm, yeah. So when you get hit and break your combo, it also calms down. And that, I think, has like an effect of like, hey, cool it and survive. You know, maybe now it's time to like start considering your actions. Like it breaks your flow state using the music as well uh, to get you kind of back making active decision making instead of just kind of working on your reflexes, uh, which I think is super cool. It's very persuasive. Yeah, it's really easy to catch a wave of just like, oh, like just always trying to attack or in like it's a game that makes you want to play fast and aggressive. But the reality is like the better strategy is to play slow and methodical. When you can keep up those streaks and there are items that uh, reward it and such, like there's enhancements for your weapons and stuff if that's the way you play. But once you, once the streak's over, once you break that flow state, like the game actually does a lot to tell, signal you. Like mm-hmm. now it's time to chill. Uh, and that gives, a, even even within a combat, there's kind of a rhythm uh, to it going back and forth. Yeah, speaking of those, those items, the way that the game handles the weapons uh, and the upgrades and the items is one of the huge departures from... Uh, really honestly any of the games that it, it's has an as antecedents i can't remember a, a, a game in the zelda series that handles the items in you know in, in this way but it you're 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 collecting these diamonds and uh every time you die you have one shop that takes the diamonds uh but then you also have throughout the world shops that will take either diamonds or rupees some of the items can be kept from one playthrough to another. You know, some of the items will be lost from one playthrough to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the complexity of the inventory is like 10,000 times what you have in Necrodancer. In Necrodancer, uh, but ironically, there's a lot more to spend your gems on in Necrodancer, where you can buy everything from adding and removing items from the uh, from the, the item inventory pool to uh, spending items to spending gems to practice against certain bosses to spending gems on some kind of like uh, bestiary where you can like keep track of like what all the different enemies are and what their combo routines are and so there's a lot of things to spend the gems on I found myself very flooded uh, with gems by the end uh, of this Mm -hmm. game yeah Uh, and then just having an inventory at all is such a huge departure uh, from uh 
from the uh, from the the previous Necro Dancer game. But I will say, an inventory is a hundred percent a Zelda thing. Just having oh, a yeah. giant inventory full of stuff mm-hmm. you never use feels very Zelda to me. Yeah. And that's actually <laughs> one of my flaws of this game is they kept giving me additional um, power ups, additional objects, additional things that I didn't find myself needing. I maybe used the power glove once. Yeah, uh, I maybe used. You know, it seemed like most of the time my job was to do combat even though I was solving puzzles um, you know it's not a bad thing I probably I would have gone through the game faster was I using the Deku Leaf when I got it but instead I just was it, it would throw me off rhythm to use objects so I found myself yeah. never using them and it's made that way almost everything is optional in it like it's mm-hmm. really a weird game where like the basis of what you need to play the game is weapons that's and like you know that's really it. and a shovel, uh, and you'll find shovels. You'll trip over them. Like enemies drop them really frequently. All the things that you can buy with uh, diamonds when you die are very easy to find. Like if you don't buy a torch, the first or second enemy will drop one. It's almost perfunctory. Um, and then every other item, rather than you know, are sometimes required for optional kind of collectibles or to get other items, but they're almost all optional to completing the game. Like I didn't fill out my inventory screen on this. Um, I got a lot of the stuff. I didn't get all of it, though. And you don't need it. It's real weird how you can go through this game and not really use the power glove or not really use the deco leaf or not really use the bow. The hookshot. Um, you know, like, hookshot, yeah. There's like one place in the game where it's mandatory. And some of the most useful items are things that you absolutely would not think that would be useful. But the probably the most useful item is the drum. Which allows you to never use the drum one time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, well, it, the drum allows you to basically hop in place and maintain your combo. Um, and so, if you know, if you're having any trouble with fighting enemies at all, you can just hop in place and allow them to come to you. <laughs> never got um, the drum. And uh, you know, for me, like there was a couple of items that I found useful, and then you know, I kind of found the ones I liked, and and they stuck. And I, yeah. I think it's kind of a generous aspect of this game in that. It throws items at you. It feels good to collect new items and try new items. Uh, but the, the one thing I'll say as a knock against this game is that if you're going to have a Zelda game and you're going to be throwing this many items at me and having me explore around and you don't have a Master Sword in the game, what are you doing? Yeah, like, uh, I have to feel like there it's got to be there somewhere, right? Like, I got to the end of the game, I was like, where is the Master Sword? I don't have that in my inventory. I had some open inventory slots. I thought, maybe it's going to show up if I... They give you some legendary weapons. Yeah, there is, like, a, a big-time sword that you get right before the castle. And yeah. Like, Just call this Keldabar the Master Auger. Sword. Yeah. yeah, right? I, I do love that they, uh, they made your some parts of your inventory permanent. And obviously that's a Zelda thing. That's Zelda having an influence on the like total reset every time nature of Necrodancer. But like the thing that frustrated me the most about Crypt of the Necrodancer was that I was just, I was good with some weapons and I was bad with others. And I couldn't just pick like, okay, I'm just going to use the spear all the time in Crypt Mm -hmm. of the Necrodancer. I just had had to hope that I could find a decent spear in the first floor or two. And if I didn't, I was screwed um, because it was the only weapon I could really effectively use. Because I just, I mean, I, I, I'm sure I, you know, the the real answer is like put some real time in and get good with the base weapon or whatever. But I just, I couldn't. And but I could with the spear. Here, once you get one of those key weapons, it's just in your inventory for keeps. 
and then you can apply um, certain upgrades to it that are also permanent. And so once I got the spear, like I don't think I switched away from it even once. And I uh, I uh, applied a couple of upgrades to it. And actually, you can't apply two upgrades to it. You can pick, um, but you can have yeah. like versions of the spear you you switch through. So I had a couple of different versions of the spear, and I stuck with that almost the entire game because it just it was what felt natural to me. Yeah, once I found the Hylian Mace, which can attack at a diagonal three squares away and has knockback, I was like, oh, no, this game got easy. Awesome. Uh, I was so thinking about the item. So there's a like side puzzle that I couldn't figure out uh, in the castle. And I wanted to look online um, to see if there was anybody who had uh, posted any like hints or walkthroughs or anything to like give me some guidance on it. And I couldn't find anything for that puzzle, but I stumbled on another video for a really simple puzzle that you that you do right at the beginning of the Hyrule Castle. And one of the things that sort of blew me away is this video was like three minutes and the total puzzle takes about 15 seconds. And this, whoever made the video, had figured out a way to solve this puzzle with almost every single item that was available in the game. Uh, and it really highlighted to me that like, oh, I solved it in like five seconds using the hook shot and like the downward bounce, where if you go across a tile and you're above a creature, you'll you'll like ducktails, you know, drop mm-hmm. sword on it and you'll bounce to the next tile. It was super logical to me. That's how I've been playing the game. I made it across the gaps, did the hook shot and it was done. But this person had made a video using virtually every item on how to solve it. Uh, and it sort of highlighted to me that they'd clearly all of these items are optional and it seems like there's a lot almost every puzzle utilizes those items in the way that you want to so i had never even considered the fact that you could use any of these other items for this puzzle Uh, and i imagine that a lot of the game was developed that way well a huge part of this game that we haven't talked about it yet is that the map itself is procedurally generated so where everything is you know where the tiles are placed it's very much like other 2d zeldas where you see one grid square at a time and then it goes to another but the layout of the tiles is completely random and i it's funny it was less weird to me because uh my husband's been watching a lot of link to the past randomizer which is randomizing all the items and randomizing tiles so it's not um you know not knowing what a chest contains is 100 percent what i was used to seeing in zelda at this point uh which is very counterintuitive but it's um a case Wait, what where is linked to the past randomizer they put a ran they race uh, multiple people race and they randomize where um where all the items are so you and kind of placement of things so things will still be in the almost the same geography but you don't know when you're going to get an item so you might have to go into one get the shoes then go somewhere else like it's because all of the speedrunners, which I, I the really speedrunners have like, gotten too good. They've run out of things to do, so yeah. they uh, they make these like I, I watch the like uh, I love the you know games done quick. We've talked a lot mm-hmm. about it on the show. Uh, the like Ocarina of Time bingo that they do, where mm. you, it doesn't even matter anymore that you're trying to beat the game. It's like you got to get three bottles, seventy five Deku nuts, and it's just like random stuff. Uh, it's interesting. Sorry, uh, what you've done unlocked something for me. Um, thinking about this in terms of Link Between Worlds, they both do something really interesting with the Zelda formula in different ways. So, like, the Zelda formula is based on very gated prog- progression a lot of the time, at least the classic 
Zelda formula, like Link to the Past, there's a couple dungeons you can do out of order, but for the most part, um, you go through a dungeon, you get an item that allows you to get through that dungeon, and then often that allows you to get to the next dungeon. Not always, but sometimes it does, right? So like, there's a couple of them you can swap, um, but a lot of times it has that. Uh, Link Between Worlds said you get all the items at once. So mm-hmm. uh, some dungeons are going to be uh, restricted. Um, you know, you need this item for it, but you can have them in any order, so you can just kind of explore. What Cadence Pyrule does is because of that map randomization, um, they don't know which items you're going to have at any given point. So none of them are required. Like instead, it just kind of takes all of the I, the progress gates and puts a reward there or a collectible or another item there. Never essential progress because they don't know what you're going to have. And that extends not only just to what you find around the map, but also your rewards for being bosses. Um, you get those, you know, I can choose the hook shot or the, the flame uh, wand, you know, and the first time that happened, the first time I beat a boss and got a, a choice of what to pick up, I just grabbed one on accident thinking I would get all of them. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh, sh- you know, oh, dang, like, okay, I've got this uh, now. So just like really interesting kind of approaches to the prescriptive kind of lock and key item design that is not, it's not just Zelda, but like, you know, Metroid does it as well, but it's like a, a video game thing, right? I mean, even the cases where the game assumes that I am picking up the object next to me and going in like, oh, you need to go wake up this dude. He'll give you an item to get to the dungeon. I was wearing a pair of shoes that let me walk across the gap. So I, I just same beat the Genjin and then I came back yep. and they kept telling me, well, to beat the, <laughs> to beat the dungeon, the, the temple next to you, you probably should go get this item. So I already beat that. I did exactly the same thing. That guy slept forever in my world. Yeah. He'll never wake up. He never Poor woke guy. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he's a yeah, closed casket. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. I, I, I beat the whole game without exploring a full about quarter of the map because of how everything lined up. Just the top right uh, of my map was... There was no reason for me to go there, at least from a story perspective. I went after beating the game just to see what was up there. It was just like a random set of grids that I had not decided to go to. In a way, I kind of like the idea that like Cadence has dropped into the uh, Legend of Zelda world and all of the rules are set up one day, one way, but it's like, nah, fuck your rules. And it's, uh, you can just <laughs> ignore all the items and she's just, she's just here to get out, man. She's just, just moving through. Cadence so. brings the chaos. Also, Guys, this finally let you play as Zelda. Hallelujah. <laughs> I cannot believe it took this long in a mainline. Wait, okay, I was about to say in a mainline Zelda, mainline and it's Zelda obviously game? not that. That's the point. It's but not a mainline, uh, and that's why you can play as Zelda. Or but it felt a little bit like, it felt a little bit like, well, why have why have we been waiting this long for this? It's such a basic thing that like, they could Haven't do they done, they've, surely they've done that before. I haven't mm. played every Zelda game, but nope. this can't be the first game where you play as, as Zelda in There's a CDI games, Zelda. but like not yeah. real ones. Yeah, you know. Right. So. Well, before we get away from the idea of uh, of speedrunners, um, I, I do want to mention that this game has some concessions for that specific community mm. built right into it. Uh, there's a daily run uh, that has like you know everyone in the world playing the same random seed, or you can set your seed and play the game you know it, with the same setup uh, again and again. And it really and it also has online completion speed and uh, step counter uh, leaderboards. Uh, so I think if you are into speed running Zelda, this is one that will provide consistent challenge to that kind of gameplay. That's pretty interesting. And I think it'll be cool to see, uh, like, you know, you can play this on a dance pad, uh, just like the previous game. So I think it'll be really cool to watch like a GDQ speed run of somebody playing 
uh, oh, yeah. a randomized Zelda game on a dance pad. That'll be awesome to watch. One note, your pauses <laughs> seem to count towards your time because it claimed that I took 191 hours to complete this game, which yeah. is <laughs> palpably untrue. Yeah, so same. Just uh, if you're using in-game time, uh, I-, I would... Keep your own timer if you're trying to train on this, or just don't ever pause the game because it seems to break something. Yeah, that feels like a bug. Maybe that'll get fixed. Yeah, hopefully. So, like, as much as it is uh, really finally phenomenal that you can play a Zelda, there's a weird little bit of an elegance to this that I don't think is a big deal. Um, But near the end of the game, um, like, there are very minor differences between Link and Zelda. Um, later, you get uh, unlock cadence, very minor differences in the the way of uh, unique weapons and a couple of unique abilities. But later on the game, in the final dungeon, there's this weird spot where it says like, "Oh, you can finally switch characters." You can jump on these little things to switch characters, and it is presented as kind of a puzzle solving element, um, and it is not. You know, it, it, it's just kind of categorically not. Um, you, you, I've never got to a situation where I needed cadence, but I only had access to Link, so I had to switch. You know, uh, you keep the same inventory other than those unique weapons. I mean, some things will hit you if you're Link versus yeah, Zelda, yeah, but that's about fireballs, it. Which is also really weird. Like, it feels like the end of this, they needed to, like, I think the end of this game, I think, is where it gets the least kind of elegant. Like, it's not a disaster, but there are a lot of things that felt like it didn't really match uh, the, the kind of game they had made. And my, uh, you know, my ability, the pace of play. Uh, that you had that I had did not match what I was being asked to do. Um, it didn't become too hard. I just kind of kept taking damage. And the reason that was fine was because I had this huge stockpile of hearts. It wasn't like, you know, I could be more skilled. I just was more durable. So I don't know about you all, but I had played the majority of the game as one character. So during these final, this final dungeon where it's requiring you to switch, I would mostly only switch when it was like, literally like this door can only be opened by, Zelda or Cadence or whatever, and then I would just find the next abil- the next opportunity to switch back to the character that I had spent the majority of the game playing as, because that's what I was most comfortable as. Mm-hmm. So it definitely wasn't like what I think they wanted, which was like, oh, this like you're you're now you're everyone, and it's like this team fight where you're all coming together to defeat the uh, the boss at the end. It was more like, oh, okay, I have to go now and be this character for a moment to hit the switch, and I'm going to do everything I can to get back to the other character. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of issues with the sort of final act of the game, the Hyrule Castle sort of portion. Um, it didn't wreck anything for me, because that actually went by fairly fast, just like the rest of the game. The whole game had a pretty yeah. fast pace. You know, mm-hmm. I think I completed the entire game in under under seven hours. Probably like, like four sittings for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like kind of absurdly short for a Zelda game. I mean, not all Zelda games are all that long, but like I've never played one this short. But it's uh, it was pretty short, and it was also I thought a pretty um, pretty easy experience. Uh, I, I I feel like this game is a little too easy for its own good, and I, that is probably the number one thing I've seen people like saying about it in terms of criticism online. Um, I, it does not make the game not fun. Um, not every game needs to be like super challenging in order to be fun, but it was sort of surprising how easy the game was. And there were a few things that like, once I completed the game, I was like, I really wanted to keep playing this, but I wanted more challenge. I wanted, I wanted more dungeons that made me use those items that I had taken the time to collect, you know, in, in interesting ways. I wanted it to like, I wanted to put me in situations where I absolutely could not progress if, unless I figured out how to really get good with the Deku leaf or something. Right. Like, 
And wow. there just weren't any of those in this. And furthermore, like there's no endless mode in this game. And there's no like, there's no just straight up like play through dungeon after dungeon or layer after layer of dungeon mode in this game. You know, Necrodancer, yeah. I, that's why like and after playing this, I kind of, I went back and played some Necrodancer because I was like, I want more of this. I don't really want to do the story again. I just yeah. want to. Yeah. I, I think the biggest opportunity is in the, uh, the temples because... Yeah. It, they they're you know it's a standard like two wings and then the boss right and then but each wing was if you did it right was like two or three minutes you know and I, and I wish that there was more interesting challenge maybe there's items inserted into it that forces you to use them just like what you're saying um, something to make it where the the temples had more weight to them because mm-hmm. I feel like I spent more time in the overworld just sort of like getting around exploring uh you know trying to get those chests or whatever spent more time in that than i did actually solving the temples and i think that if they had just made the temples deeper and more complicated then i feel like the game would have been the right type of challenge well they they would have had to been bespoke right so like the the temples are necrodancer levels Mm -hmm. like they are little random necrodancer levels but without the uh the task of a necrodancer level. Like in a necrodancer level, you are very incentivized to go to the shop because you need weapons and you need permanent upgrades. And here the shops give you maybe a torch that acts a little bit differently or a shovel that acts a little bit differently. What you have likely works. Um, you know, so you're kind of less incentivized to hunt out the shop. You had to be one boss, like little mini boss kind of room to get down, uh, now into the next level. Whereas in the original Necrodancer, because you wanted to get those diamonds, you wanted to get cash and upgrade yourself to survive the next floor, you're incentivized to do more of the floor before hitting that boss. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like the Necrodancer level structure, but without the, le- the Necrodancer, like, uh, impetus to, to fully explore them. Um, and it, yeah, it doesn't totally work. Like they're really quick. Um, and then once you actually get to the the final boss, like, I don't know about you guys, but I, I was really missing the kind of clever musical gimmicks of the Necro dancer bosses as oh, like yeah. a music guy. Yeah. Like, there was the, no, uh, um, King Konga in this where they have King the, like, Kongas, the, the like, rest so good. in that yeah. are, it's genius yeah. that that is one of the, that's a great boss. And you're right. They, all yeah. of these, the other thing about the bosses here is that like, this is a, maybe a small thing, but like the way this game is designed, it really, it, you know, if you're doing a lot of exploration on the overworld, which is the game, so you're going to, um, you're getting a lot of hearts and you get a lot of bottles. I think I ended the game with four mm. of them. And it's very cheap to fill those bottles with health potions, which unlike in other Zelda games get used automatically when you die. Yeah. So, um, so I could you, only Uber. find one bottle. I opened it's up, Uber I opened up the whole <laughs> gourd Every chest, one bottle. That sucks. <laughs> you miss some shops because they're always there. No, open. I went in every shop because I poured the whole board and my shops didn't have bottles in them. Weird. I wonder if like, that's a randomizing I never thing. had a bottle I could buy. That's weird. Interesting. Once. No wonder I thought the end of the game was so hard. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I could only get one health potion. If it makes you feel better, Laura, I didn't use health potions until the castle. Now, if you go into a boss with, say, two or three health potions, you basically can ignore all of the boss mechanics and just sort of stand in one place stabbing if you really want, because it's it's just eventually going to die. Like, it was... Um, I thought that kind of took away from the game for me a little bit, because... Like, I don't mind a game that has sort of, like, opt-in difficulty, but if you have an item that's, like, a health item, right, 
and it automatically fires off when you get low on health, like that just totally disincentivizes like cautious or careful play. And so I would get into those boss encounters, and even if the bosses had been as clever and challenging as the ones in Necrodancer, I think I probably wouldn't have, it, you, I may not even have noticed, because the yeah. it really incentivized you to just like stand and stab, which is so weird for this game. Or, or bomb chews. I don't know if you guys figured that. Uh, oh, I didn't use a lot weird, of those. Yeah, if you just throw bomb chews at any boss, they'll melt like pretty instantly. Like, it's weird. It's, it's an imperfect marriage between those two things, because I think if the bosses... Uh, with this, without this health pool, um, you would die too much in the overworld uh, to getting overwhelmed because you're constantly being moved forward on the beat, um, and it would be frustrating. With this health pool, it makes the bosses kind of trivial, and when they did the end boss, they kind of made it about movement instead of just pure combat because they, I feel like they maybe you know knew that they, they didn't want you just to be able to stand there and tank it, and that's also not totally doesn't totally work. You know, so again, it's none of it's horrible, but you're right. There is something with the difficulty tuning. I just wonder if it's something that the game, you know, I, I always hesitate to say like a, a developer couldn't fix a problem, but I think some of these problems are inherent of the marriage of these two genres. Yeah. Like taking, you know, those very essential things about, uh, about Zelda and the essential things about Necrodancer and getting rid of some of those things in order to make them fit. Yeah. Uh, kind of lends itself to this. Yeah, I found myself wanting at least some of the objects to be used in puzzles. Uh, I wish that perhaps some of the RNG was reduced in, for example, that if you got an item before a special location and then you were forced to use it. Um, Because I found myself wanting uh, not just more puzzle elements, but it seemed like they were reduced to my least favorite puzzle parts of Zelda, which are like moving block puzzles, because Mm. those are the only ones that didn't require any special tools. I don't find yeah. moving blocks puzzles fun in Zelda. And I love Zelda puzzles. So it was disappointing that they had to go to, to me, the least creative thing. Where when I think about my most memorable Zelda dungeons, I think about getting a special tool you use once and it is fantastic. I mean, hell, I even like Twilight Princess when you get the spinning disc and you can just fly around it. Totally dumb, astonishingly mm-hmm. fun in that one dungeon. If inventory is going to be full, I want the inventory to be used. Or just call them collectibles and call them Easter eggs. Because by the end of the game, that's what I treated them as. Oh, cool, I got a Deku Mm. leaf. It's a reference. I like Deku leaves. Moving on. Yeah. Um, Mm. It it just was a little bit disappointing that um, they were neither collectibles nor requirements. The, the way to do that would be to de-emphasize the roguelike elements. Yes. Yeah. But I feel like in their mind, it's like, well, if this doesn't have roguelike, like we're losing too much Necrodancer DNA. We're losing that replay, um, which is because this game is kind of short. Like there's all these competing factors that when they butt up against each other, create these like minor, like non-critical, but still a little bit irksome flaws that I think stop this from being like great. Yeah. You know? I, I think there's um the, the, the part of the problem is that Necrodancer has like a couple of knobs it knows it has to let you opt into additional difficulty. I, I think probably very intelligently, they knew that they were going to get an audience that wasn't their Necrodancer audience for this. And they yeah. wanted to make it easy enough for a casual Zelda player to enjoy, which is smart and absolutely the right way to go. But the, the ways that they let you opt into additional di- difficulty in Necrodancer, which are pretty much the same things they opt into here, is like they give you an option where it's like, okay, if you miss a beat, you die, which is like no one really wants to play like that. That's a stunt for streamers or something. Like, that's that's not an actual thing that any reasonable person wants to play like. And then also this game lets you opt into additional difficulty by letting you um, 
Um, there's the there's the uh, daily mode where if you die once, uh, you yeah have that's to reset sorry the that's game. what I'm Iron Man of. yeah the, the sort of Iron uh -huh. Man mode where you sort of reset the whole game when you die. Um, so it's not it's still letting you use like health items and things like that. But if you are if you are not cautious and you die, uh, you have to start over from scratch, which is another roguelike thing. And neither of those feels compatible with the way that I would want to play this game. Um, like I none neither like I want. I, I got to the end of this game and I was like, I want a harder version of this, but neither of those harder versions feel like what I want, if that makes sense. Mm. I actually got to the end of this game and in the final dungeon, there's that kind of long, um, long period where you're hitting, you know, more levels than you've hit in any previous dungeon. And then it spits you out back pretty much where you started, except it's, I guess, the future. Uh, hmm. <laughs> Classic Zelda moment. I guess it's the future now. Yeah. Did you expect there to be another set of dungeons that were like the dark versions of it? I did, and I was really yeah. disappointed that yeah. there weren't. I totally yeah. did. Uh, but even more so, I thought uh, because it, that that area allows you to kind of loop your way through that same set of levels uh, if you want to. Like you can loop your way through that same uh set of floors and they re-randomize which is kind of cool but I, I thought oh well if i just go back in there i can play the endless mode that i up until this point assumed that this game would give me at some point but it did not mm. so yeah I, I think this game has some room for updates um this you know the the original necrodancer was a really consistently updated game over a period of many years. You know, they, they were still adding features to this. Well, I mean, if it was an early access game, so there was that whole length of time where they were consistently updating it with response from their community. And then uh, even for years after its official release release, there were new things cropping up in the original Necrodancer game. And I would be surprised if they don't do at least some of that here and I'd be overjoyed if it addressed some of this by giving you know giving you a little bit of uh, you know ways to play this game in a, in a way that's harder maybe adding something like the endless mode that Shane was expecting I would love to see that stuff make its way into this game as it is I don't think this like this lands the difficulty and that's probably my number one complaint about the game I had a lovely fun time playing even even through the final dungeons that have some issues uh, I had a lovely fun time playing through this game enjoying the music enjoying the sort of danciness of the combat but I, I did get to the end of it and think oh wait was that it it's slight and I mean this is the short game I don't usually say that about games that I complete shortly if you have four health potion bottles, the game is probably a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Laura is sitting here like, what are all of you talking about? This game was so challenging. want to talk before we moved on a, a little bit about some of the various bosses and areas uh, in this game um, because I think they're really you know one of for a Zelda person they're some of the most fun little sort of Easter eggs of the game is that all of the bosses are uh, both musical and just sort of character model references to or twists on uh, original Zelda bosses and characters 
Um, and th so are the areas of the game. Everything, if you played a Zelda game, is going to seem sort of familiar. So um, obviously the levels are randomized. There's no way for us to talk through this in order. Um, but I thought we'd talk about some of the areas of the game and some of the bosses that we encountered in them. Uh, first, I thought, I think the first one that I hit was the Frozen Grotto, which is around Lake Hylia and is in the grasslands area. Um, but where that specifically is on your map is going to be a bit of a mystery. Um, so the Frozen Grotto uh, features <laughs> one of the cutest bosses of the game, and it is the Wiz Robo. Not a not a robot Wiz Robe, but instead an Obo Wiz Robe. I I love this thing. I don't think that it's like the, the the way that the boss performed was particularly surprising, but it's got a great sprite and. I, I love that it's a whiz robe that is also an oboe. Were, were you uh, you folk disappointed that it, it didn't feature Paco Bell's Ganon? Like at any point? <laughs> no, I, I really like that. thought that. I, I honestly thought of that joke too. Like Ganon uh, and D, like something like oh that. Oh god. Yeah. Yeah. Paco Bell's Ganon and D was definitely a pun I thought would happen. You're, you're right. Ganon features in this and he's the only boss that doesn't get a pun name. I am yeah. a little bit mad now. Disappointing. So yes, Wiz Robos are in the Frozen Grotto. I think the next one that I hit was the Lost Swamp, which is in the Lost Woods area. Um, by the way, the Lost Woods was my favorite area in this game because uh, the dudes would respawn very quickly and you would get very large payouts of uh, diamonds for doing practically nothing. So by the time I got to the Lost Woods, I never needed diamonds again. It was basically mm -hmm. my diamond farm was yeah. the Lost Woods. Yeah, th there were those places where the... Uh, what are those guys called? The red guys, the Bokoblins, I think. Um, they just respawned endlessly, and uh, you could go in and out of the same tile and basically stand in one place and kill them and get two to three uh, diamonds each time, and it only took a couple of seconds. Well, maybe a little longer than that. But yeah, by the time I got to that section of the game, never needed diamonds again, which felt a little broken, but I was also happy to be able to buy all the spears I needed. Um, yeah, the Lost Swamp has the... Oh. Has Tingle. That's very important. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. Tingle. Thank God he's in this game. I don't know what I would have done. Um, no, the, the, the boss of that area is the Gomaracas. What is what is this guy based on? I'm actually not sure what the original... Um, oh, I guess he's a Goma? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, very cute sprite. Love the Maracas. But I was, yeah, again, I was kind of hoping for like the Donkey Konga, or not Donkey Konga, what was the guy called? The, the King, King Konga. Konga. <laughs> I think you nailed it with Donkey Konga. I was really kind of hoping for the King <laughs> Konga of this game. And uh, I thought I, I thought I was expecting it with the Gomaracas, uh, but it wasn't quite on that same level. I just like whatever band they have that has a bass guitar, a glockenspiel, maracas, <laughs> an oboe. And, yeah. an, and an oboe. Did, did you know, this is a weird tangent, but in Final Fantasy VIII, you get to put together the band for the, the school dance or whatever. And you get to choose the instruments. And there's like a hoedown set and like a rock and roll set. And you can just mix them freely and just get this disaster music. Uh, and it's like <laughs> this. It feels like uh, this kind of thing. I feel like it's just the four friends in the school band decided that they were going to start a band. Come what may. Mm -hmm. We're miscellaneous. One, two, yeah. three, four. Da, da, yeah. da, da. <laughs> you can make a ska band out of this somehow. Nate's the expert. He's actually been in a band. <laughs> yeah. He, um, you need to pitch shift that oboe for a ska band. <laughs> yeah, that's a good <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's sort of like, we can just round those out. We've got the bass guitar umos nights and the gliockenspiel. 
And the Glockenspiel is a Glock, which I remember from, I think, Link to the Past. I'm not 100% there. And the mm-hmm. bass Guitaramos Knights uh, are the Armos Knights, also, I'm pretty sure, from Link to the Past. Yeah. It's also the best and worst pun. It is. Bass Guitaramos Knights. Why not just Guitaramos Knights? Why is it going to be a bass <laughs> Guitaramos Knight? Oh. <laughs> that is true, yeah. Uh, it's a little much. Um and there's no regular guitar. It's not like they were trying to like yeah. save that spot for you know the the like uh, guitar Ganon or something. But yeah, like like electric, like like electric yeah. guitars or something like that. Like there's something there. Yeah. It is a weird ass- assortment of instruments. Um, it is, however, a really really good set of sprites. So like what the bosses may lack in like I don't know the something special that the bosses had in uh, in in. Um, the original game, they just really make up for in visual flair. They're just super great sprites and super fun to look at. So, mm-hmm. you know, I definitely was looking forward to getting to them every time and I didn't look forward and see what any of the bosses were and was kind of surprised and, and pleased each time I saw one. Sorry, listeners, we just mentioned all of their names. Well, my first boss fight, I really thought was going to be like a Glockenspiel solo for like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to be normal music. Uh, the Glockenspiel boss, I think, is the best music, and I was disappointed when I beat him because I didn't feel like I had spent enough time uh, just listening to it. So I am still very excited for the soundtrack to come out. While we're loving on the sprites here, uh, taking this as a sequel to, to Necrodancer, that is the biggest single upgrade to the experience, mm. is just the art. Uh, if you remember in Crypt of the Necrodancer, your character doesn't even have uh, you know different sprites for turning and facing in different directions and when she uses the shovel it's just an image of a shovel that appears nearby mm. um, there's practically zero animation uh, you know with the with the one exception of the really lovingly animated skeleton pretty much all <laughs> of the uh, enemies in that game are are pretty pretty poorly uh, sketched in very uh, m- more more akin to something very retro like NetHack that than than a a more modern game. So uh, I would love to see another Crypt of the Necro Dancer game that follows more of the original uh, in terms of gameplay, but has these graphic uh, and inventory upgrades. Yeah, and it does help that like this is a graphic style that is lifted from one of the one of the touch points for two D like top down uh, sprite art. You know, everyone I think looks at Link to the Past and says, "Well, this is a, this is a high point for that era," and this is lifting very heavily from that. Um, although one thing I like that it does is it sort of redraws some more modern Zelda enemies in that original Link to the Past uh, style. Like I really, really liked the um, the Lionels, uh, the sprite that they created for the Lionels, which was the very modern style Lionels, like from the um, from Breath of the Wild, but rendered as, in the sort of Link to the Past style. That was great. Loved the look mm. of those guys. Yeah. So overall, I know we've, we've had some gripes with some of the elements of this game, um, but I don't want that to deter folks from giving this a try. It is such a sort of breezy, fun experience that while there's, I think, some missed opportunities, I think that's the problems with this game for me mostly fall under the sort of missed opportunities camp and not with the like showstoppers or things that made me, you know, curse at the game or what have you. So it really is a really charming experience that I would absolutely recommend people give a try. And um, 
and I mean, also, I think a really perfect game for the Switch. I didn't mention this earlier because I didn't think of it, but now I'm going to, so, so apologies if this is a bit of a sidetrack. Um, with games like Necrodancer and, and this, um, the Switch is a really perfect platform for them because of predictable audio latency. Um, I, I have a problem with games like this on my personal setup in my living room because I have a soundbar that in every way rocks except that it has about a quarter of a second of audio latency. And you wouldn't expect that to be a big deal and most of the time it isn't, but on any rhythm game, it's basically unplayable unless there's some kind of complicated way to sort of um, calibrate it. Fortunately, this game does give you calibration settings, but even those, I had a really hard time playing this on my TV setup. And you might find the same if you're trying to play it with things like wireless headphones, because those often introduce a lot of latency and you're gonna miss beats, it just will happen. Even TV speakers often have this problem. But with this game, because it's the Switch, you can pick it up off of a dock and the Switch knows exactly how much audio latency it has because its speakers are built in. And it knows exactly how much video latency it has because its screen is built in. And so it just plays exactly the way that you expect it to. There's no worrying about a f your fussy setup, which I loved because I actually specifically remember having a lot of trouble with the early uh, versions of Crypto the Necrodancer uh, because I couldn't figure out how to get it to properly sync up with my display and the general like variable lag of my etc. So boring, boring tech stuff. But I want to say that like this is the kind of game that is so much better to play in handheld mode than it is to play on a TV. And so it was really nice to have that option on a game like this. Um, sorry, that was a bit of a sidetrack, but what I was trying to get at there uh, was that I think this is a really worthwhile game to pick up and try, and I think it's a great game for the Switch. Um, so if you are on the fence about it, yes, it's a fairly easy experience. Yes, it's fairly short. For me, mostly that's a positive. Uh, it's got some miss missed opportunities, but I still 100% recommend people check this out, particularly if you like either of the games that it's drawing from. Yeah, especially yeah, in short doses. Like I play this a lot in transport, and on the Switch, with headphones in, it will make a bus ride fly by. Mm -hmm. And and think about whether you want to like encourage this kind of thing or not, mm -hmm. right? So like this is one of those things where you're voting with your dollars. Like, um, you know, it's it's not a cheap game for the link. Yeah, twenty five dollars I think is the standard price. Right, and I, I hate factoring in money per hour. Like, I think that's a silly way to look at games. I don't do it. At the same time, like it's not cheap. At the same time, though, I want. Uh, not only do I want these guys to be able to do a sequel to this or take on another Nintendo overlay, right? Like I would love Cadence of the Mario of Mushroom Kingdom or something like that. Oh, man. Like I think that'd be that really would cool. Be something. Um, you know, not only do I want that, but I also want Nintendo to feel like, hey, we can be a little less stingy with this stuff. Let's uh, stop being Nintendo about this, aka mm -hmm. the weird cops of the video game world, <laughs> and maybe just chill out a little bit and let let people fuck around with these IPs. Sorry, swearing. I don't know. If, We're good. I can't remember if I can. Yeah. Um, you can believe me, yeah, please. Um, the uh, But let people mess around with this kind of stuff and foster that kind of creativity and do these experiments. You know, like I felt yeah, really I good mean, giving these people money just because it's like I want to see more stuff like this, even though I didn't absolutely fall in love with this. I just liked it. You know? Yeah, for sure. And I've been sitting here trying to think of like, so I definitely want this crypt of the Necrodancer people to make other games, even if it's another one of these or Mario or whatever. But I was trying to think of other pairings that would also be like a really interesting if if Nintendo went out and like got this other indie game thinking like a Mario Firewatch, you know, <laughs> like, what's it like to be Fire Fire Flower Watch? 
Yeah. <laughs> nice. Good lord. Nice. Uh, and, and, I, and I think that what you're hitting on, uh, Gary, is a, is a great point, is that, you know, we, we're often talking, you know, the world that we live in is indie games, and we're often talking about supporting indie developers and whatnot, but uh, this is that weird mesh of the two, and supporting indie developers is, is fantastic, and that's a big part of what we talk about, but there's also something that's very satisfying or very worthwhile about supporting major companies' support of indie developers mm. as well, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Uh, and I, I think this game, the opportunities we talk about is like how this game could have been great, but it doesn't make it not good. And I, I had a, a very fun time with this game, and I'm certain that this soundtrack is going to be something that I'm going to carry with me forever. It's going to slot right in with my other Crypto the Neck Dancer soundtrack. I, I am very excited about this uh, soundtrack. So I think this game is fantastic and worth your time and worth your money for a lot of reasons. You're here. You're here. So longtime listeners of the short game will know that we have a segment here at the end we like to call What's Making You Happy This Week. Uh, Gary, you'll probably never guess what that segment is about. <laughs> Uh, based on the title alone. Um, so I will start with Laura. Laura, what's making you happy this week? So I just moved into our apartment and I have finally got something I've wanted for years, which is a projector. And it's not fully set up. We don't have our screen up, but we have just been testing it by projecting over our bed and watching Good Omens and Deadwood and briefly playing Breath of the Wild on it. And it is glorious. It's something... Uh, not having a TV in a small apartment is great on its own because there's not a lot of space and there's just not a lot of headspace. You want a full-time TV there, but we watch so much media that having something the size of me on the wall that is bright and glorious, even midday is making me so happy. And it's, it's a meta one because I'm really excited to play games on it, but like also just, Upgrading, we've had a really, really bad TV for so long that getting rid of it and just buying what I've always wanted is making me very happy. That's super cool. Congratulations on your new apartment, by the way, Laura. And uh, for listeners, Laura has just completed her move to New York City. So, uh, you know, hit her up with uh, your suggestions about cool stuff to do in the Big Apple. Yeah, we need friends. I mean, that would be creepy if you just email me out of the blue. But if you have meetups or things that are in the gaming community, I'm definitely looking for stuff to attend. Awesome. Yeah. Um, what's making me happy this week is uh, is a bit gaming related. I uh, So I, I bought Bloodstained or I pre-ordered Bloodstained. Um, but like an idiot, I pre-ordered it on the Switch, right? So that showed up. And I mean, I just... I know that like don't pre-order anything. I know. And also it was part of the discourse. Like I, I should have known, but I, I kind of was like, oh, you know, it's just a frame rate thing, right? Like I, I, I can live with 30 FPS or whatever. No big deal. I'm just gonna be playing this on my switch. That's where I want to play it. Um, but you know, the discourse got to me and eventually I was like, oh, maybe it's maybe I just need to wait for these developers to put some love on the Switch version and, and improve it a little bit. So I decided... I don't understand. What is what is the issue with Bloodstained? Oh, uh, well, I mean, it's mostly performance related, but also like really big downgrades to the texture quality. Um, so it's like 30 FPS instead of 60. I mean, it's all the kind of thing that people complain okay. about. The kind of thing that I don't often worry about, particularly for something I'm probably going to be playing mostly handheld, but, you know... They're going to update it. I Maybe we'll just wait for the updates to happen because I'm not playing it for the show or on a timetable or anything, right? But I thought, well, while I'm waiting, I've never actually played Symphony of the Night. Ah, um, I've played bits buddy. of it. Yeah, I know, right? But um, So that's what's making me happy this week is that I, 
I, uh, I've got a, I got a copy of Symphony of the Night. I'm playing it on my PlayStation on a CRT, which is a nice experience, let me tell you. And it's so good. Uh, I mean, I've played uh, some of the later ones, the handheld Castlevanias that were also part of that sort of lineage, but I've never played this one. And I guess relevant to this show, I think the thing that was most surprising to me about it, I was aware there was a quote unquote, like second castle or like the inverted castle or whatever. But I got, I'd been playing for about five hours when I hit credits on this game. And I was like, what the hell? Like, I thought this game was much longer than that. Well, of course it is. There's the whole second castle. Um, but like, if I hadn't known that, like it's, I, if I'd been playing this in 1997 or whenever it came out, I would have been like, wow, that was the shortest game I've ever played. Um, so, mm -hmm. hey, if you're looking for a short game uh, and you you don't mind pretending that this, the back half of the game doesn't exist, Castlevania Symphony of the Night absolutely fits in this show's wheelhouse and could absolutely be considered a short game. Now I'm into the second castle portion of it, and I'm also having getting my ass kicked by every weird knight in there. But it's a really good game, guys. I mean, I know this is like late to the party and extremely obvious, but uh, that's making me happy <laughs> is to finally go back and really give that game a try. That's nice. awesome. Well, what's making me happy this week? I actually kind of owe to you, Gary. Aww. Um, yeah. You got the basket. Uh, <laughs> yes, Gary. Thank you. The fruit was delicious. Oh. Uh, no, in this case, um, so I I happen to sign up for uh, a certain zine. Oh. Uh, Gary would. So Gary has has made this zine uh, called Gary. What's the name of the zine? So it's, I, I have to disclaim that it's on hiatus at the very least now, just yes. Let, oh, everyone I should, rush I should also to, have said to give it to me. But I made, you guys missed out. I made a zine that called, short game uh, bump. You got to look out sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Cassette goblin. Cassette goblin. <laughs> yes. And cassette goblin is awesome. Uh, and, but it, the thing that's truly making me happy is that it, it's cassette goblin turned me on to, uh, um, uh, one of the worst movies that I, I love bad movies. And this is one of the worst ones that I didn't know that I would love. And it's uh, Silent Night, Deadly oh, Night 5. That's so good. <laughs> it's a great movie. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. Gary. This movie is so incredible. Yeah. It, it's It just is the perfect. So this is a movie where uh, it's uh, this kid uh, is staying up on Christmas Eve and a doorbell rings and there's a Christmas present and he opens it and it kills his dad because <laughs> it's a horrible, evil Santa in yep. a box. And uh, the, the movie just goes on the kind of almost horribly standard rails of like the killer toys horror movie franchise. But what makes this the perfect bad movie to me is that it's the perfect mix of uh, gory and sleazy. And um, it, it just, it just has it all. Uh, I, Gary, I'd love to give you a chance to, to give your opinion on the movie here on the podcast. Oh, but. Yeah. Un uncommonly horny. Uh, so like, like, five. Uh, What's the Thanksgiving? Oh, Thanksgiving. That one's also awesome. a lot. Very, That's very horny good. movie. That's very bad. That's horror movies for you. They they do that. It, it's it's part of the the genre. I think I think something like Deadly Night Five specifically uh, is just pretty unpredictable. You know, like you you think that there's just killer toys, and it is that for like part of it, and then there is a big kind of twist and uh, a couple performances that really elevate it to being uh, a really, really fun watch. Like the end of that movie is phenomenal. Um, it is Absolutely. Really good. It really, it really has an incredible yeah. ending. And it also, it somehow simultaneously managed to like super over telegraph its twist by like with, by leaps and bounds and still surprise me mm -hmm. with it. Yeah. And they, they go a little so further wonderful. than you might think, which I, oh yes. I love. 
Did you, uh, did I, I finished the first season of, and I'm going to start watching the second season of Fleabag. Fleabag is so good. I loved the first season. Oh my goodness. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't watch very much TV. Um, and I, so I resisted it. People are like, oh, and I was like, oh yeah, an Amazon original series. I'll watch that. <laughs> sure. It's BBC. Amazon just paid to say that they own it. <laughs> I know that we now. We all know it's lies. <laughs> yeah, I know that now. Uh, it is so good. Uh, it is so funny. It is so well realized. Um, it is just really, really a well-observed comedy, uh, with just like back-to-back performances that, uh, like Olivia Coleman, in that uh, movie, who is somebody I always loved, I saw the favorite, uh, one of my favorite movies. I saw it, uh, I think, earlier this year. And then um, Brett Gelman, um, who I know from independent comedy, is just like so astounding mm-hmm. in it. Like it is really good, and it's a British so series. Can, can you give me the very series. short pitch for it? Because I think I have it mixed up in my brain with like two or three other shows that are probably totally different. But so Amazon did this show a disservice by having the picture of it be a woman with mascara running down her face, which would make you think it's a drama. It is a fourth wall breaking comedy about a woman whose life is kind of a mess. A dark comedy. Dark comedy. Like an extremely dark comedy um, that is like tons of pathos. um, But yeah, it's it's basically a character. (laughs) It's more sex than murder. There's no murder. Yeah, ton, tons of sex and, and, an, and a treatment of sex that I really love that is both like really real feeling and also uh, not uh, titillating or egregious or anything. You know, it is not trying to it's it's the anti silent night, deadly night five. It's not trying to get you uh, aroused. It is just this very realistic portrayal of how it fits into this person's life. Um, and I just I love it. I can't wait to start season two. And I love that it's a British series. So like it's two movies. You know, yeah. the short game. What about the short TV show? You know, people yeah. are like, hey, you got to watch the show. And I'm like, well, that's 50 hours of my time. How about uh, you go to hell? Um, you can watch you know? <laughs> all of Fleabag in less time than it takes you to watch the Infinity Wars two movies. Yep. Yeah. All it is it. So, it's so doable. All it is eminently seasons. watchable. Okay. Well, now I'm sold because uh, I think I was, I was holding off on it partly because, I mean, I never opened the Amazon thing on my TV and no one and, does. Uh, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, and partly because I think I had it mixed up with some other shows about women whose lives are messes that I have tried and sort of bounced off of. So I will have to give that a go. You got to give Sex in the City another, another try. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the yeah. internet as a whole started screaming about season two. And then I finally went and watched it. And so I'm really glad that more people are watching it. The back's great. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, I'm right between. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to starting season two uh, before somebody, some meme spoils it for me. So I almost always use this section to talk about something stupid that's like going on in my life about like, like boats like or whatever. Like your daughter. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, that's actually, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. So, and I actually watched a TV show in the last like two weeks and I, I like mostly enjoyed it, but I think what I think hearing what you guys just talked about like i re- i think i recommend fleabag more than the show that i'm about <laughs> to talk about having not watched fleabag at all but i don't watch a lot of tv either and i never have like media recommendations uh during this section and i was like oh i finally have one and then you guys have like a way more heartfelt recommendation <laughs> than i do but i did watch with molly the first season of a show called killing eve mm. uh over the last like week or so and I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it's a show about a, it's sort of like the two sides thing where you see the people who are doing the crime and the person who's trying to catch the people who are doing the crime. Uh, it's a, uh, a like assassin 
this young woman who's an assassin, and then uh, a woman who is essentially trying to catch her, played by Sandra Oh. It's very, very interesting. It's a beautiful show. Uh, cinematography and just like coordination, color, the whole design, everything is wonderful. And it also has the thing that sticks out to me is it has this sense of humor that I wasn't expecting that uh, most of these shows are very, very self-serious. You know, it's like it's a, it's in a murderer and everything is serious, but almost every character in the show has some quirk, something that's funny. Every side character, every interaction has something that is like, oh, that's kind of silly, kind of strange, kind of abstract, kind of weird that adds an element to the show that I was not expecting that actually made it worthwhile to me to watch and not just like another drama that is focused on murder. So yeah. I Nate, recommend it. That yeah. show is written and showrun by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who is the star oh. and showrunner and writer of Fleabag. What are the... That's what? crazy. And also uh, is the voice of Cadence in Cadence of Hyrule. Yeah, so it all so connects. Yeah, it all yeah, connects. That's crazy. No, that's a, this is the Phoebe Waller-Bridge no, Oh, okay. She's not dead. She's not dead. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, that is... LOL, got him. Uh, that is... Uh, so headshot. Laura, I saw it. So this whole time I was talking, I could see Laura just I was like, waiting I can't to jump in. And I had no idea what it was going to be. That is bonkers to me. So uh, I definitely, I recommend the show just getting ready at some point to start the second season. Um, there, it's not like my favorite show I've watched, but it's definitely worthwhile uh, and, oh, yeah. and a really interesting take on the like good guy, bad guy, both sides sort of thing. Yeah, that show really does rule. I guess we'll be starting our like spinoff, like Phoebe Waller Briggs. Did I get the name right? <laughs> Fan cast here as a, as our first Patreon goal. So yeah. that'll <laughs> be a thing. Sure, yes. <laughs> All right. So thank you, Gary, so much for joining us oh, on yeah. the show. I always really enjoy having you on. If folks uh, listening to this want to check out other episodes where Gary has come on, he's been a fairly frequent uh, guest on the show. We, uh, we talked with him about um, Legend of Zelda, Link Between Worlds. The last time you were on was uh, West of Loathing, which was a absolutely great episode and fun game. Um, we talked with you about um, The Walking uh, Dead. The Walking Dead. Yep. And mm-hmm. uh, and we've even had an interview with you when we were still trying to figure out what the show was all about. I was like, maybe we just interview people I like. And we did an episode <laughs> where you just came on and talked about how you produce your own podcasts, which was, I thought, a great talk. And, and uh, folks can go back and check that out in the feed if they're so inclined and don't mind our terrible microphones back then. Thanks. Uh, and if folks haven't checked out all of the stuff that you do, I imagine there's a large overlap between our two, uh, you know, listenerships but if folks haven't checked out the stuff that, that you do uh where can they find you online uh at duckfeed.tv uh, where we do entirely too many shows there are a lot of them um something for everyone um so check that out the, the flagship one is watch out for fireballs uh that is a much longer uh this is about short games um and tends to be reasonable length episodes and then that show is like oh four and a half hours whatever uh they're very long uh we're in the, the that model of things and uh if people haven't heard of it uh, don't listen to that network or anything and or uh, if they do listen to it and they want to check it out um we're for- throwing our first festival yeah um, i'm so excited August- i'm so i'm so sorry i can't make it but i'm excited for it, you guys it's a cross country i totally get it duck fest but, right that's, duck fest yeah, yeah first that, annual so yeah. Yeah, it is uh, it is going to be a like a total blast i think that's in portland oregon on august 31st and duckfeed.tv slash duckfest is where you get ticket information that is so exciting. I also, I mean, I, I don't know how to properly set this up, but I want to tell folks that like one of my favorite podcasts ever is Abject Suffering, but it's also oh. so 
so strange that it's hard to introduce people to. So I wondered if you could give folks a very brief pitch for it, whatever you would pitch folks, because I love mm-hmm. that show so much, but every time I've tried to recommend it to somebody, they've been baffled and confused. It's, um, it is a, a comedy podcast um, that uses a different bad game every episode as uh, like a prompt. So that's basically how I think about it. Like there, we talk about the game, sometimes more games, some games are more interesting than others, but generally we just kind of follow our, our, you know, our id, uh, and see kind of what happens. So there's lots of just jokes, uh, and it's got a running mythology now We're like, we're getting weirder and insular as the network continues. And like, we start feeling secure. So we don't have to like treat things like somebody might be new to it. So there's lots of like running (laughs) jokes and such, um, and, yeah, this uh, is why yeah. I have a hard time recommending it to people, Gary. It's very yeah. weird now. <laughs> I, I recently re-listened to one because somebody I, – n- I never listened to my own shows, but somebody rec- uh, brought something up and uh, made me think about it. I think a good kind of fun place to start um, or a good first episode is re- like about six months ago, we did an episode on Willow games. Mm, I love Willow. That is a good one. Yeah. Um, and that is a fun episode of that show. So I can confirm at least one of them is fun. I was going to recommend – a. Originally, I think it was a uh, premium only episode, but I think it's on the regular feed now. The one on um, uh, 50, 50 Cent Blood in the Sand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We put that out as, as a regular one. And that's really fun because um, that game is wild. Yeah. Uh, and also good. And when a game is actually good and has a reputation for being bad, those tend to be fun episodes because like, yeah, it's you know on the face of it. It's about 50 Cent uh, killing Oh, I don't know, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of terrorists to get back his crystal encrusted uh, skull that he got his payment for a concert. Um, we all know the story of 50 Cent. Okay. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like autobiographical. Um, but yeah. also it's a really fun game. Um, so that, yeah, that's a great episode. And we, we released that to the public to try to promote um, our uh, our Patreon. Like we can, we had a bunch of premium episodes and you can get them all uh, at a certain level on our Patreon. Get the back yep. episodes. Yep. And speaking of Patreon, I'll do a very brief plug here. I'm still a little inexperienced at plugging Patreons, but I I wanted to let you all know that, uh, so, you know, obviously we've started a Patreon. You can go to the www.theshortgame.net to find a link there, but you can also go to patreon.com slash the short game. Um, we are really wanting to expand the types of games that we can cover. Um, and we don't need a whole lot of money to do that. Uh, the short game has been a labor of love for all of us for five years. Um, we're hoping for a little bit of support from our community, basically just to expand the types of games that we can cover and make the, make the show more uh, timely and uh, more useful to this, to everyone who listens. So uh, we really hoping for your support. Uh, please do take the time to go to www.theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash the short game. And a dollar a month is absolutely fine. If you can spring $5 a month, that'll, that'll absolutely make our day. Um, and uh, we really hope to hear from you on our discord, which is going to be where we're going to be conversing with our patrons and planning future episodes, doing polls, talking in more depth about the, the games as we're playing them rather than saving all of our thoughts for the episode. So please join us there. And we can't wait to talk to you on the discord. If you decide to uh, back our Patreon, thank you so much. Um, oh, and so I am Reagan Kelly. You can find me on the internet at Reagan K that's R a Y G a N K on Twitter, or you can find our show at www.theshortgame.net where you'll find a contact form. Great way to let us know the short games that you are playing or that you see upcoming that you think we ought to be covering. Uh, you can also, of course, find our show on Twitter at underscore short game. Uh, Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Shane, where can people find you? 
Also on Twitter at 8BitShane. And Nate, where can people find you? On Twitter at NateSTL. But also I want to do one of my favorite things. You know, we're, we're launching the Patreon, which is awesome. Really excited to build that community and get to talk to some of you on Discord. But we've been saying for a long time, another way to support us is just a, a nice review on iTunes. And anytime someone does that, I like to give them a shout out. So I'm going to give a shout out to Quote Rock, who called us the nicest sponge and said a whole lot of other very nice things. And Quote Rock, you're the nicest person. So thank you for taking the time to say very, very nice things about us. Uh, we really appreciate anyone who takes even a moment to interact with us via Twitter, iTunes review, or possibly joining the new Patreon. All of that is fantastic. Uh, so thank you, Quote Rock, and thank you anyone who does any of those things. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Short Game.